When we reject creativity, we reject the ability to solve problems. Creativity allows us to solve a problem in a way that we've never before imagined. And it is exactly what humanity needs right now. Hey there, this is Bev. I'm the host of People at Work Today. People at Work is a podcast created by Jostle, and at Jostle, we're building an employee intranet that is helping leaders lead at work. And what we mean by that is uh, we're helping those leaders connect people to everything that matters to them during their workday using our intranet. And at the same time, I'm out in the world talking to people like the guests we're going to talk to today to find out what's actually happening for people during their workday and how are they feeling and what are things out there, trends and interesting research that's surfacing that really help helps us understand how to make work better for people at work. So today I'm delighted to welcome Nir Bashan, who is a creativity expert and has taught thousands of leaders and individuals around the globe how to harness the power of creativity to improve profitability, increase sales, boost customer service, and ultimately create more meaning in their work. Nir has spent the last two decades working on a formula to codify creativity for business. And that formula is found in his book, The Creator Mindset, which he released in August of 2020. Now, I'm a subscriber to Nir's newsletter, and I know that he has written and appeared on many podcasts and interviews. So I'm really looking forward to hearing what he has to say for people at work today. So welcome, Nir. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So before we get started and, and dig into this topic of creativity at work, walk us through what led you to have a passion for exploring creativity to begin with. Yes, absolutely. I have noticed my whole life that the people who are doing well in business and in life, but mainly in business, uh, are the most creative. And I spent a lot of time searching for a way to codify this creativity so that everybody can follow it. And I think I finally, you know, stumbled onto something that's tangible. And that was uh, what I published last year in, in, a, in a book called The Creator Mindset, which is a, a how-to guide on creativity. Fabulous. So what was your methodology to codify something that is as nebulous, I feel, as creativity? Honestly, it was kind of a school of hard knocks approach. I, you know, I'm not a professor. I don't sit in, you know, classes on Mondays and Thursdays. And then Tuesdays, I have office hours where I can, you know, walk around and get inspired <laughs> or whatever. Like I, I'm, I'm busy. I work like you and, and your, uh, you know, listeners and everybody. I've got, I've got to, to, to do stuff every day. And so what I noticed was, you know, I kept getting things wrong in my own life, in my own careers, in my own businesses that I've owned. I, I was making mistakes. And those mistakes kind of led me to start to not make mistakes. And then when I didn't make a mistake, I would just kind of write down, hey, you know, this worked and I'm going to do it like this next time because it was something that I've learned from. And so 20 years of doing this, um, back and forth and getting it wrong every which way had led me to feel like I have finally reached a stage where I can start to codify a process that anybody can follow to become creative because of the experience, the time and the energy and the awful amount of money that I've lost over the years by getting it wrong. Now I'm able to 
get it right more often than not. Um, even though I still get it wrong off a lot, um, but I'm able to sort of uh, instruct people on how to become more creative in their own way. Yeah, that's interesting. It sounds quite similar to what we're trying to do at, at Jostle. We're basically trying to codify leadership. And how do you actually take leadership once it's codified and make it something that can be amplified in an organization using technology, um, which is not an easy problem to solve, much like what you're trying to solve, right? So that's that's interesting. There's some, some parallels there that maybe that's for a completely different podcast, but nonetheless, it's, it's interesting. Um, so if we think about creativity at work, how do you define that? So for me, the definition of creativity at work is really about solving problems in a way that is different than the modality that we're used to. So usually solving problems is an analytical construct, right? The, the brain is separated into two hemispheres. Yes, there's a lot of crossover, but largely, um, you know, one side is logic and the other is the creative music, that sort of thing. Um, and what ends up happening is we have traded our creativity that we were all born with for analytical skills. So we're at work, um, maybe we're leading a company, maybe we're an employee, and the decision has to come because there's some issue, problem, growth opportunity, you name it. And what we do is instinctively as a culture, as a people, and this is all over the world, by the way, I've studied it in Africa and Southeast Asia, everywhere. What we end up doing is we say, forget creativity, give me the numbers, right? And we make all of these decisions based on analytics and analytics alone. And yet we wonder why we can't get to the next phase. We wonder why we can't grow. We wonder why we can't codify leadership for our software company. Well, the reason being is when you look at a problem with analytics only, you're only allowing your brain and your potential to solve the problem to be at 50%. So it, it would be like, you know, uh, ordering a pizza or whatever and getting half of it and being, oh, cool, I got a half a pizza, but I paid the full price. Or, you know, like, um, you know, buying a car or whatever and getting only the front half, two wheels and like, you know, the part where you sit in, not the back half. And it, it's stuff like that. And we've become so accustomed to it, almost like shortchanging ourselves as a humanity right? We're like, whatever, cool, good enough. Well, the fact is that it's not good enough and it's not cool. And it ends up not enabling us to solve really salient problems that are at the core of humanity. When we reject creativity, we reject the ability to solve problems unlike anybody else. So for me, it is really, really important to understand that Creativity allows us to solve a problem in a way that we've never before imagined. And it is exactly what humanity needs right now in order to get us to the next stage. So I'm curious, um, I know that you've worked with actors and musicians and, and people who are you know, more traditionally creative um, in terms of how we accept what creativity is. Um, what, what are you seeing in terms of parallels or, or distinctions between artistic creativity and workplace creativity? So the parallels are remarkable. Um, I spent a long time in Hollywood. I worked on a lot of albums. I, I lived in Los Angeles for 
38 years. So it's hard to be in LA and not be in some kind of entertainment or, uh, you know, music business. And so I spent a lot of time watching what successful musicians and actors do. And what they do is they have a process, they have a notebook, they, you know, they have it organized in their own special way. And I thought, wouldn't it be nice to try to take some of those approaches and apply them to business? Then when I left Hollywood, I owned a furniture refinishing uh, company. I owned a, you know, uh, a, a variety of different businesses. And in each one of them, I tried to take some of those principles that I learned from the quote unquote creative fields and apply them to business. Some of them worked, Bev, some were like horribly not working. And so I kind of threw those away and, and slowly realized that the seedlings of creativity that are methodical and a practice, a habit, not, oh, I got inspired because I took a shower and I did three circles around the block and, you know, I uh, pet my dog behind the right ear. And every time I pet the dog behind the right ear, I get inspired. It's not like that. That all of that is complete and utter baloney. In order to be creative, you need a discipline and a day-to-day -day routine. You can't just wait for some divine inspiration, some gong to hit and the seven tones of Solomon wash <laughs> over you. And yeah, it's what we're, we're all told, right? We're all told that, hey, you know, in order to be creative, you have to be inspired. And these musicians are so inspired. They're not. I've spent years in a recording studio years okay and i've seen good musicians and i've seen bad ones generally the bad ones are on drugs or they're high or they're drunk or they're trying to figure out how to get inspired because it's just not striking the good ones with discipline that i've worked with um come in there and they have an organized routine they work nine to five just like everyone else they're not burning the midnight oil they're picking up milk on the way home for the baby i mean that's the reality of what a successful creative is. And in business, we can follow those same patterns and same tools. Uh, we just need to, to learn them and practice them. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that because I, I think when I do think of creativity and I think of it in, in the context of an, an artist or a musician, immediately I jump to sort of free-spirited, you know, very happy-go-lucky, there's no structure. It's always constantly searching for the next spark of inspiration. I'm really quite fascinated to hear what you're saying about it being more structured and it's more process-oriented, which I would not ordinarily have associated with creativity. So, which leads me to understand how this can be completely applicable in the workplace because much of what we do in our day-to-day -day work is routine oriented or is driven by process um, which I feel if you take it too far can crush the creativity out of the environment as well so let's talk a bit about that what are some of the things that can block creativity in the workplace? So one thing that I see a lot that blocks creativity at work is the inability to deal with anything new and fresh and different, right? Um, sometimes those things are seen as a threat. Sometimes they're seen as too far out there or, hey, you know, we're not going to do this. The, the problem is, is that when we don't do these things, we don't advance as a company. We don't advance in our career. We all are born creative. We have a creative instinct, a DNA. My son's turning four in a little bit. 
he gets a box from Amazon. It's a, it's a toy, right? And he, he rips it open. He takes the toy, places it next to the box and plays with the box for two hours. Okay. What has happened to us, right? We grow up and we start to like, ah, whatever. And I'm thinking, you know, and here I am the creativity expert, right? And I'm thinking, oh man, the recycling's not coming to Thursday. I got to break down the box after he's done and put it, you know, I'm, I'm even sort of in that mindset of not even seeing how wonderful and magical these things are. So something happened to us and we've started to sort of lose our way because creativity is in our DNA. It's what has gotten us to this point. Uh, as a humanity, we learned to eat this and not that. Um, and we got creative about our shelter and we were surrounded by animals far stronger than us, far, you know, more ferocious and bigger teeth and all this stuff. But we were creative. We learned how to, you know, get, get through. And now we're in 2021, right? We got, um, you know, COVID going on. We got, you know, one of the hardest, uh, economic uh, cycles we've ever uh, been in uh, things all over the world are you know starving for a different way uh, you know a solution and yet there's companies and careers that are doing great right now and there's others that are like in the toilet like terrible you know and the companies that are doing well right now are the ones that are most creative then the, the ones that are not doing well are the ones that have struggled with it so one of the biggest blockers at work is the understanding that creativity is part and parcel to everything that you do as an organization. And unless you're able to foster it in, in every department, you know, from the bottom up, from the top down, uh, then what you end up doing is you're blocking the ability of your company to do well. Yeah, I absolutely hear what you're saying. I was watching a TED talk recently. It's not a new TED talk. I don't know if you know Sir Ken Robinson. He passed away recently, but he's a, a thinker around how do we actually unlock creativity in people. And his thesis is that we actually crush creativity at school for children. And it is like you were saying, your son is four. He's still filled with the wonder of the world. He's able to think creatively about a, a simple box. Um, as he moves through the school system, that's going to get crushed out of him. <laughs> And eventually he arrives in the workplace and what's been built into him, right, is almost zero creative thinking ability. Um, so if you haven't seen that TED talk, I think it's actually the most viewed TED talk in history is this talk of his about yes. school and creativity. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, but one of the things that I, I took away from Sir um, Ken's talk was just about Yes, we acknowledge that creativity is being stripped away from children, but that doesn't mean that we can't recreate that kind of environment in workplaces. And we should be doing that. If we can't remedy it at the school level, which we should, which is also another podcast episode, <laughs> there are ways for us as employers and leaders and, and organizations to almost recreate the environment where employers are playing with Amazon boxes. Right. Absolutely. So. And, and we could do it. It, it just takes, um, listen, I've run, I don't know, 2,500 people before I've run a company. Now I have three, right? They're small, but mighty. Right. And at every step of the way, it is about empowering staff to make their own decisions on their own time in their own way. 
And then what ends up happening is people take ownership. They love coming to work. They kind of build their own uh, environment there that is ripe for uh, for the ability to deal with change. Um, I found also that being honest with people and telling them, hey, this is what's going on, instead of treating them like you know children or something like that, is another very effective way to grow creativity within a company. Uh, you know, the book has 92 or 91 other tools and tips and tricks, but the, the nice thing is, is that everything that I talk about is free. It costs zero. It's not about buying a machine. It's not about outsourcing or, hey, Nair, we're going to build a creativity department. Like, eh, I don't think so. Like, you know, you, it, you can't just, it's not like a thing you can just offload to someone, you know, you got you to gotta be able to do it yourself. And so, um, and so I think creativity is one of those things that is incredibly important, especially today with everything that's going on. And it's something that anybody can learn to do. You just need a, a process and a, a, a few a few tools. Yeah, so I'm curious to get your thoughts. So I've been observing that workplaces and, and leadership have been moving more towards a human-centric style and um, approach where individual needs and where the wellness of employees is now being placed ahead of profits. Um, what do you think, if you agree with that, and you're welcome to disagree, um, but assuming you agree with that, what is that going to do for how creativity can flourish in an organization? You know, I think that... <sighs> I, I love it, right? I think anything human-centric is amazing. Um, Amy Edmelson wrote a book just now called The Fearless Organization about psychological safety and how it unlocks uh, potential. And for me, it unlocks creativity, right? Because when we see people you know, thriving at work, what we really see is their ability to tie in to that childhood creativity. And so I think it's really important. I think it is definitely the way of the future. I think the wave of, you know, KPIs and measuring, you know, listening to how many calls go out or seeing how many emails go out for your sales channel and, you know, hey, look, we sent out this many emails. We had this many meetings. I think it's garbage. Like people who think like that are stuck in an antiquated way of thinking. The economy has never been more complex than it is today. What they teach you in business school is that, you know, product or service A finds market or buyer B, they transact and you can get more transactions by two ways. One is by efficiencies, right? You lower the cost of the product sold or two is volume, right? You just find more people to buy it. But that is, those two things are completely wrong. They're analytical and they will never get you where you need to go. They'll work for a little while and then they'll, they'll tank. What we really need to understand today is that the economy is no longer an A to B relationship. It's an A to J, and J is some somebody on Insta. You know, J turns to his friend Z. Z then connects with you know L. L then finds M. Maybe back to J. Maybe not. And then finally to to the sale B. My my business is built on that model, literally. There's such little connection between, you know, uh, uh, somebody who brings me in to consult and somebody who brings me in to speak. 
and my efforts into, hey, you know, I'm going to do a webinar and invite people to come look, you know, see me talk for free. And then they'll invite me into their company. That doesn't work. It never worked. So understanding that the economy is incredibly complicated right now and understanding that unless we're really, really creative on how we act and what we do, we'll never get to where we need to go. One of my favorite tools, um, and it's in the book, is to just give stuff away for free. People don't understand the value of, you know, giving some subject matter expertise or some, you know, bite-sized thing that people can do. I, I work with a lot of software companies. They tell me near, but that's my IP. So why would I give stuff away for free? And I tell them because the marketplace doesn't work the way that you think anymore. It just doesn't. And the way that we were taught, the background that we have as leaders today is you know, mainly an analytical construct. And those relationships have completely broken down it, it, these antiquity sort of buyer A, you know, seller B come together are completely not the way that we do things anymore. Um, I was on a, a very popular, you know, hundreds of thousands of downloads, listened uh, podcasts for uh, car dealerships. And literally I, I opened by telling them that the relationship between a buyer and a dealer has never been worse. People will buy directly from the manufacturer if they can. And the only reason that you guys exist is because of legislative, you know, sort of red tape and people have to, they'll buy a Tesla 10, day, 10 times over going into the Honda dealer. And that is the reality of the market. So you have to understand that the landscape is one of, uh, one of encouragement to think differently. If you want to think the same, your Honda dealer in Dayton, Ohio is going to do fine. Okay. Maybe you'll sell a couple of Honda. Maybe you won't. Maybe you can get better financing or whatever. It's fine. But if you want to be the top of the heap, you want to sell the most amount of Honda. You want to be, you know, the best at this software venture that you're launching or, you know, grow this company into different territories and stuff like that. You need to learn how to think differently. And the DNA of your brand, Bev, the, of who you are as a person is embedded into that company, right? There's no company that exists on earth that doesn't have a brand identity. It's who they are, okay? Mm -hmm. And that brand identity is very subject to being creative, right? And what we choose to do and how we choose to do it, maybe it's a giveaway, maybe it's something free, maybe it's, you know, trial for software, maybe it's free software all up, and then you unlock different, uh, um, you know, uh, segments of it, it doesn't really matter, but you have to learn how to think differently in order to be successful today. Yeah, well, it's in, in the spirit of um, blowing things up, which is, uh, you know, what I think you, you're trying to do in your own way with trying to break the, the traditional mold of, of creativity. Um, I interviewed someone yesterday, uh, Libby Robinson. She is out to disrupt the 360 degree review process and performance management and doing it with a neuroscience driven app, which basically helps people provide better feedback to one another. So this is one of the best parts of, of my job is I get to speak to, you know, people who are thinking about really shaking up things that have been in business for years, decades, probably. Awesome. So, so thank you for, for blowing up things in your special way. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's really, and, and so people ask me all the time, they say, Nir, I love it. Just tell me what to do. 
like we're paying you really good money to be here. Just tell us what to tell us what to do, please. I run a um, disaster restoration company. I did this uh, right before COVID hit. Um, you know, we have uh, you know, 150 vans, all the Southeast, you know, blah, 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 huge region. And we we're not growing. It's just stuck. We're stuck and it's a grind. Just tell me what to do. And then it's always a conversation around, well, what's the, what, who is this company? Why do you do what you do? And, and I often ask Bev, I say to people, especially leadership, I say, you know, is there a reason that you're doing this? Most of the time people are like, no, we don't know, whatever. Um, it is what it is. And I say, but you guys can be making a whole lot more money doing something else. And everyone's like, oh yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah of course. Then I'm like, then why are you doing this? And when I ask people that, they sort of, you know, hey, I, grandma had a fire when I was, uh, you know, nine years old during Thanksgiving. We grabbed the, you know, uh, the smoke detector went off. Everyone panicked. You know, we, we poured wa water on it or, or a fire extinguisher. And that was like, it was a seed in my early life of how important, you know, a home is to somebody and how when something goes wrong inside a home, it really is about helping people. So that particular disaster restoration company that I work with, I said, dude, that's your creative DNA. Now let's expand it into the brand. And we found that the invoicing model was antiquated. It was lump sum. And people today love to choose. I mean, look at, look at your app and everything. It's like, you know, a la carte, right? And so I asked them to move to an a la carte model. It was, you know, several months of arguments with the lawyers and, you know, how can we ever do this? And, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we ended up making more money by moving to a la carte because people like the service. They like the two or three things they picked instead of the 10 things. And they ended up having people come back for the, for the rest of it. Or, you know, they saw the guy doing such a good job. They called and said, Hey, we'd like the whole thing. Just do, do what you guys need to do. And they ended up making 13, 14, 15% more. So when I'm asked, Hey, Nir, how do I become more creative at work? I don't know. It's up to you. It's your DNA. That's telling you what you need to do. And if we just start to look a little bit at our DNA and a little bit about who we are, we start to unlock these amazing creative cornerstones that we can then build incredible foundations on top of. Well, what I'm hearing from you most today is it really comes down to the, the power of human relation and the, the power of us to adapt as well. We have proven that we can do that well as humans. And now it's time for us to really step away from um, probably a bit of lazy reliance on the the analytical ways of running a business and actually tapping into this human potential, which is expressed through creative thinking and creative ways of showing up in the business world. So um, you've given us a lot to think about here today. And I, I'd like to close by asking, what is your, of the 90 plus tips and ideas that you've got in your book, um, what's your favorite? You might not believe this, but it is my favorite thing to do to become more creative. It's something your listeners can do right this second is to talk a little less and listen a little more. We're on Zoom meetings and, you know, go-tos and teams all day, all day. And it's literally a cacophony of voices fighting to be heard. But in a, in a world where everybody's going at, at 10 out of 10 all the time, sometimes being 
quiet, sometimes listening to what's going on can be way more effective creatively than trying to match that energy. So the one thing that I recommend that your listeners do, and it's weird because we're on a podcast, but I promise you, I'm not usually the guy who talks a lot. I'm the guy who kind of helps extract creativity out of people. Um, but the power of listening in really listening and having empathy and, and really understanding where that person is coming from, incredibly powerful, creative tool. Fabulous. Well, thank you for sharing that with us and for giving us a, a quick dive into how we uh, unlock creativity and, and understand how it's been codified by you in your book. And if, if listeners wanted to grab your book, where's the best, best place to do that? So it's on Amazon. It's in Barnes and Noble. All the indie bookstores have it. Um, I would love to hear from your listeners uh, if they if they read it. We have a community where you can log on. It's free uh, and exchange uh, questions and stuff like that on creativity. I have a newsletter. I'd love you guys to join. I never sell anything, so you're not going to get like a you know buy this and buy that I you know <laughs> it really is a service and I hope that it helps people I hear back from people um Bev it's really nice people are like oh it's great it's like the only thing I ever read and I'm like okay cool they're like you keep it short and sweet I have a minute like literally a minute yep. and it's called short and sweet Fridays and so it's like a minute read and sometimes there's a video sometimes there's an article or something like that um but yeah it's uh, I'm really really easy to find my name is Nir N-I-R Bashan um, there's three near Bashans in the entire world. So I'm like, <laughs> there's a, like a 16 year old kid uploading Call of Duty, you know, clips. That's not me. That's not you. No, That's not your would, alter ego. No, no. I, I mean, I wish I had that kind of time. Um, but yeah, I'm easy to find. I'd love to hear from your listeners. Fabulous. Well, thanks for being with us today and, uh, go well, take care. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of people at work. It would mean a lot to us if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. The more reviews we get, the more people discover the podcast. Also, don't forget to subscribe to ensure that you don't miss an episode. You can do this wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can reach me at bev at jostle.me or find me on LinkedIn. Until next time, take care. <laughs>